Well, a few words here. I thought I would share an article, but before that, I just want to let you know why I picked that article. Last July, as I attended the UN Ocean Conference, I had the pleasure of sitting down with several um, builders, designers, and conceivers uh, uh, of um, basically people who make the concept of marine drones and um, who carry different purposes, transmitting data, collecting data, um, you name it, um, usually surface level, slightly under and so forth, uh, small cameras and gatherings of sound, all kinds of uh, different applications that could be applied. But I spent time with a gentleman called Yi Chao, bright, smart person, <laughs> um, and who owned a company and uh, was representing it there called Tray. And we looked at the amount of drones and the benefit, uh, especially when it comes to cost, compared to having to send a boat out, um, things like that. So the, it's a fraction of the cost. Um, and there's lots of progress there. And in the future, if you imagine having unmanned vehicles or more drones, you will be able to do a lot more, gather a lot more data and so forth. And you'll be not relying on having to send people out, which besides the cost, in many cases, there's also a risk. So as we started to talk, we started talking about all the many drones and so on. And he said, well, SeaTrek develops uh, sustainable drones. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I mean, because we hear sustainable on every sentence, and uh, especially if you're at the UN Oceans. So he said, yes, well, you can think about it. You know, most of these drones that go out, they will just end up at the bottom of the ocean. And then the image came up. If you recall, not long ago, they started talking about the pollution, trash, and waste on the moon that had basically, and, and all the waste that was also in space, specifically where you get patches of old satellites, old equipment that's just floating around. Well, the bottom of the ocean is starting to look more and more like a dump. Now, obviously, the you know it's a very large space. However, a lot of people have just been letting things just go down there, not thinking of any consequence, not thinking of what pollution will be like in 20 years, or not even factoring in the amount of pollution that will be happening there. I um, I had this conversation with him and we, we went on and, you know, ran some models about how many, you know, how much pollution could be there. But then I stumbled on, on during that event also into an attorney called uh, Anne Rebay, Anna Rebay. We met at the Save Our Sharks, um, the gentleman from, uh, um, uh, sorry, I forgot the name, uh, but basically that was uh, highly reviewed in uh, Seaspiracy. They were there too. Uh, it was very, very interesting. Uh, the Gallifrey Foundation was there. Um, Antoinette Familia was there. Uh, quite a few names. And uh, all, all very interesting and, and very, very, um, uh, how can I put it? Uh, driving. I mean, you would come out of there and just run to the next thing full of, uh, you know, passion, hope and interest. But as I, you know, stayed in touch with a lot of these people, I found out a lot of the other work they were doing. So Anna Rebe, uh, very pleasant and committed to the environment and so forth. I understood later she was a shark, uh, a shark, <laughs> uh, a dedicated person as well as an environmentalist, but also a lawyer. And, um, as I went through all that, I also went through her webpage. And as I went through the webpage, I crossed paths again with the topic of ocean data and uh, marine drones and so on. 
And the reason I mention it is because I'm very keen on everything which is marine drones. I find technology amazing. I find ocean data to be a very hot topic. I also think that most people are sort of stumbling around discovering what it's all about. But one thing that we can know is when we consider, you know, that we are combining different types of information, getting in other people to analyze that information, coordinate it, and you name it. All the stuff that has been at the root of all this, namely satellite transmission and satellites and all the equipment that goes around it, fantastic technology. However, there's a place in the middle of the ocean called Point Nemo. That's right, as in Captain Nemo. Point Nemo. And Anna Rabay generously shares an article on this that she put together herself. And I'm going to read it. It has a lot of legal references. It has beautiful maps. And you can find everything on her webpage, which is uh, noted here. Ocean Vision Legal. And here is the name of the article. Space Cemetery. Protecting the Pacific Ocean from Space Debris. So, to make it clear, a lot of the space debris has been dumped in one specific point referred to as Point Nemo, which is basically between New Zealand and Chile, right in the middle, in the South Pacific Ocean. Chances that you would go swimming and run into it are very thin, not to say none, right? However, it is a growing concern and just the beginning of what could be a lot more. But what she does is she explains where the law starts, where it finishes, and what to do from a legal perspective. Point Nemo and Space Debris. First article. What does the remotest area in the sea, farthest away from any land, have in common with space? Point Nemo, the spacecraft cemetery. Point Nemo, the point of inaccessibility, is an area about halfway between Chile and New Zealand and marks the area in the ocean that is furthest away from any land. While one might imagine this place to be the most pristine part of planet Earth, untouched by humankind, human, humans manage to interfere with this remote part of the Pacific Ocean with galactic force. Since 1971, the USA, Russia, Japan, and Europe have dumped at least 263 pieces of defunct space objects at Point Nemo. More than 190 by Russia, 52 by the USA, 8 by Europe, and 6 by Japan. Space debris are artificial, man-made objects that are out of function and orbit the Earth or re-enter the atmosphere. Such objects include, but are not limited to, old satellites in parts or in whole, carrier rockets, space stations, and ruins that were produced by former collisions of decayed space objects. More than 30,000 pieces of space debris are currently being tracked by space surveillance networks. The true number of objects, larger than a centimeter in size, however, is likely to be over 1 million. In January 2022, NASA announced that to dump the International Space Station, the largest space object ever to be deorbited at Point Nemo at the end of 2031, which has sparked a surprisingly little discussion amongst marine scientists on the effects on the, of the marine environment. From a legal perspective, experts like Professor Dr. Markus Schladerbach from the University of Potsdam in Germany deal with the very difficult question if the current legal system can meet the challenge of dealing with space debris. 
One conclusion seems to be unanimous. There is an undeniable need to establish an obligation for the removal of space debris due to the danger of a collision from the growing number of objects orbiting Earth. Accordingly, the 2007 UN Space Debris Mitigation Guidelines, which were only adopted 60 years after the launch of the first space satellite, provide guidance such as an deorbiting space objects to mitigate the growing problem of colliding space debris. Debris is to be redirected into Earth's atmosphere where it burns up. Objects, however, such as the ISS, that are so large that they do not entirely burn up and survive the re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere, require a controlled re-entry into Earth's atmosphere above specific uninhabited regions, Point Nemo in the Pacific Ocean. Yet, is the dumping of space junk at Point Nemo in the Pacific Ocean even allowed? To anticipate the result, all states are under a customary obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment in all zones of the sea, even at Point Nemo. The following article will outline the empiric evidence that dumping space junk in the ocean, even more than 2,000 kilometers off the coast of any land, is not allowed under international public law and must be prohibited. Point 2. The impact on the marine environment. The natural specifics of Point Nemo are largely undiscovered. It lies about 2,700 kilometers from any land and is 4,000 meters deep. If experience, however, has taught one thing, the ocean is not scarce of, scarce of life in any of its parts. Already in the 1960s, scientists proved the rich marine life in the bathypelagic zone of the ocean, which lies between 1,000 to 4,000 meters in depth. While it is mainly home to small animals such as worms, clams, snails and crustaceans, also larger animals such as the giant squid, the largest known cephalopod, lives in these areas of the ocean. Highly migratory fish such as tunas, swordfish, sharks and billfish can migrate up to 8,000 kilometers across the oceans and back. Already before, people have overfished, overexploited and overpolluted areas before they even knew about the species and the harm they could cause. If humankind should have learned one lesson, it is not to exploit and destroy nature blindly, claiming that there is nothing to destroy before they have even explored it. Risks to the marine environment from submerged space debris include, but are not limited to, the erosion of large amounts of metal, leaking of toxic substances like hydrazine or other fuel. The ISS, for instance, consists of more than 420 tons of metal, which will erode in the ocean and is larger than the size of one football field. Environmentalists, therefore, fear that the continuous use of Earth's oceans as dumping sites for space debris will have an adverse effect on the ocean and its ecosystem. As Ocean Plastics Research for the Ocean Conservancy Senior Manager Britta Bechler says, it is not sustainable to keep putting waste into the ocean and expect it to function the same way as it always has. Point 3 legal obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment. The legality of dumping space debris in the ocean can be addressed from two interrelated areas of public international law, space law and the law of the sea. 3.1. Space law. There is no specific legal hard law concerning the issue of marine pollution by space debris or legally binding obligation to conduct, an, to conduct an environmental impact assessment before dumping space debris in the ocean under space law. 
Pursuant to Article 6 of the 2007 UN Space Debris Mitigation Guidelines, spacecrafts that have terminated their operational phases should be removed from orbit in a controlled fashion, while due consideration should be given to ensure that debris that survives to reach the surface of the Earth does not pose an undue risk to people or property, including through environmental pollution caused by hazardous substances. However, these guidelines are voluntary and not legally binding. 3. Point two, law of the sea. The obligation of states in the sea varies according to the zone of the sea and the respective jurisdiction of the states. Point Nemo is located in the high sea, which is governed by the principle of the freedom of the high sea. The freedom of the high sea is one of the oldest concepts in the law of the sea, dating back at least to Hugo Gracious' famous dissertation Mare Liberum in 1609. The customary rule is now codified in the 1982 UN Convention on the Law of the Sea, according to which no state may appropriate any parts of the high sea to its sovereignty. The freedoms of the high sea, however, are not granted limitus. The Law of the Sea enumerates single freedoms inconclusively and stipulates under Article 87 that the freedom of the high seas are to be exercised under, conditions, under the conditions laid down by the laws of the sea and by the other rules of international law. Furthermore, under Article 87, the freedoms of the high sea have to be exercised with due regard to the interests of other states in their exercise of the freedom of the high seas. The freedoms of the high seas, therefore, are not granted, limited, but are conditioned. Furthermore, as per wording inter alia, the freedoms listed are enumerated exemplary. The Article 87 thus does not provide a comprehensive list and includes any activity in the sea. The dumping of space debris in the high sea therefore generally falls under the freedoms of the high sea. However, it is to be exercised under the conditions of the law of the sea and other rules of international laws. 3.3 Specific Law of the Sea Part 12 of the Law of the Sea, uh, referred to as UNCLOS, deals with the protection and preservation of the marine environment. While Section 1 contains general regulations to this end, Section 5 and 6 specifically deal with the pollution of the marine environment. The dumping of space debris in the ocean could fall under Article 212 of UNCLOS. Pollution from and through the atmosphere and or Article 210 Pollution from dumping atmospheric pollution in the meaning of Article 220, 212 sorry, refers to pollution from the atmosphere such as persistent organic pollutants and greenhouse gases, or through the atmosphere such as acid rain. The dumping of man-made objects in the ocean is dealt with in Article 210 of UCN-LOS. Dumping is defined in Article 1 and includes not only the dumping of material from vessels but also any deliberate disposal of a vessel, aircraft, platform, or other man-made structure at sea. As man-made structures, satellites, spacecrafts, and other space debris therefore falls under the definition of dumping of pollution under the article. Under the same article, it states that it shall adopt national laws and regulations to prevent, reduce, and control pollution of the marine environment by dumping and acting, especially through competent international organizations or diplomatic conferences, shall endeavor to establish global and regional rules, standards, and recommended practices and procedures to prevent, reduce, and control such pollution. 
hitherto this moment, states have not adopted specific regulations to manage and control the pollution of the marine environment from pollution of dumping spacecrafts in the sea, and therefore are in breach of their obligation. The obligation, however, does not stipulate the prohibition of dumping itself and only obliges states to adopt regulations to this end. The legality of dumping spacecrafts at sea, therefore, needs to be examined under the general obligation of states under Part 12 of the UNCLOS. 3.4. General Law of the Sea, which is the Part 12 of the UNCLOS. The general obligation for the protection and preservation of the marine environment is regulated in Part 12, while Article 194 stipulates measures to prevent, reduce and control pollution of the marine environment. Article 192 entails the general obligation of states to protect and preserve the marine environment. 3.4.1. Measures to prevent, reduce and control pollution. That's Article 194 that was just referred to. Under this article, it states, states that shall take all measures that are necessary to prevent, reduce and control pollution of the marine environment from any source and they shall endeavor to harmonize their policies in this connection. Like Section 5 of Part 12 of the Article 194, also obliges states to establish regulations to manage and control the pollution of the marine environment through dumping of space debris. The regulation itself, however, does not prohibit the mere act of dumping space debris. 3.4.2 The obligation to protect the marine environment, which is Article 192 of UNCLOS. The legality of dumping space debris in the sea itself, however, could be comprised under Article 192, according to which states are obliged to protect and preserve the marine environment. To this end, it needs to be established which states are bound by this regulation and if the obligation prohibits the dumping of space debris in the sea. 3.4.2 sub 1.1 Erga omnes obligation with jus cogens status. Generally, international treaties can only bind their state parties under Article 34 of the 1969 Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties. However, the conduct and discourse of states, including the UNCLOS non-member states such as the USA and Turkey, show that the regulation of Article 192 exceeds its status as conventional regulation and evolved into a customary role of international law. Because there are no persistent objectors to this regulation, this rule further erga omnis binds the whole state's community. Because of the fundamental value for humankind that is protected by Article 192, the rule furthermore evolved into a peremptory norm of international law, from which no derogation is permitted, and which can only be modified by a subsequent norm having the same character under Article 53, concluding the obligation under Article 192 binds the international state community as a whole, irrespective of their signatory status to the UNCLOS, and cannot be derogated by derivative norms of international law. 3.4.2.2 Basically, you know, this is just to help you go through and uh, sub-topics um, and so on. So, I'll be referring to the article so you can read it, and it will all seem a lot clearer. For now, let's stick to the story and the multiple ins and outs, and great work of putting together, knowing what the legal angle is, 
what the legal angles are, how they evolved into it, and how the problem is being addressed and where the opportunity really is. The prohibition to dump space debris under Article 192. As to the specific content of the obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment, it needs to be addressed in the dumping of space debris violates this obligation. The specific content of international rules is derived through their interpretation according to their wording, systematic embedding and context to other regulations, their purpose and history. Next section, which is subdivided, other branches of international law. The PCA held in its South China Sea arbitration that the specific content of the obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment is specified in other regulations of the UNCLOS, as well as other rules of international law. This framework is very broad and contains customary and conventional global, regional and national rules for the protection of the marine environment in general or regarding specific issues, species or regions. The UNCLOS itself, as shown, does not contain specific regulations on the legality of the dumping of space debris. Relevant customary international law is the precautionary principle which puts states under the duty to take preventive measures and perform due diligence assessments in case in which there is scientific uncertainty as to the effects of activities on the marine environment. The ecosystem approach which aims to manage human activities to support the conservation, sustainable use and integrated management of land, water and living resources, although its normative content is not yet clear, environmental impact assessment, which are the procedures to determine the beneficial and adverse consequences of decisions, policies, programs or projects on the environment, including socioeconomic, cultural and human health impacts, and branches outside the traditional canon of the law of the sea, such as human rights law. In the legality of the threat or use of nuclear weapons, the ICJ established that the environment is not an abstraction, but represents the living space, the quality of life, and the very health of human beings, <coughs> including generations unborn. In the case concerning the, <coughs> sorry, the Gabriel Lokovko Nagyamaros project, the ICJ stated that the court is mindful that in the field of environmental protection, vigilance and prevention are required on account of the often irreversible character of damage to the environment and of the limitations inherent in the very mechanism of reparation of this type of damage. Throughout the ages, mankind has, for economic and other reasons, constantly interfered with nature. In the past, this was often done without consideration of the effects upon the environment. Owing to new scientific insights and to growing awareness of the risk for mankind, for present and future generations, of pursuit of such interventions at an unconsidered and unabated pace, the new norms and standards have been developed, set forth in a great number of instruments during the last two decades. Such new norms have to be taken into consideration and such new standards given proper weight, not only when states contemplate new activities, but also when continuing with activities begun in the past. This need to reconcile economic development with protection of the environment is aptly expressed in the concept of sustainable development. Thus, if states want to conduct an activity that ought to influence the marine environment, they are obliged to assess the activity 
under the precautionary principle, sustainable development principles, an ecosystem approach, and conduct an environmental impact assessment, none of which has been provided before dumping space debris at Point Nemo. States are therefore in breach of their obligations to protect and preserve the marine environment when dumping space debris in the ocean. Next, we have the interpretation of Article 192. The compatibility of activities in the sea, such as dumping of space debris and the obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment, must be evaluated and substantiated by experts, such as marine biologists and geologists, on a case-by-case -case basis. As recent discoveries in science show, more and more marine life is being discovered even in the remotest areas of the sea. It seems very likely, therefore, that it is possible to evidence that the dumping of space debris negatively harms the marine environment and collides with the obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment. Opposing interests in law, such as the free usage of the sea to dump space debris and the protection of the marine environment, need to be equilibrated. 3.4.2.3 3. Balance of Opposing Interests the UNCLOS is the broadest and widest accepted treaty concerning the regulation of the sea and is therefore commonly referred to as the constitution of the ocean. It aims to strike a balance between the desire to protect the ocean on the one hand and the use of ocean spaces on the other. These two opposing poles are clearly apparent when it comes to the protection of the ocean and the interest in the free use of ocean space, such as through the dumping of decayed spacecrafts. In order to find out whether a relevant normative conflict of two norms arises, both regulations have to be interpreted harmoniously in good faith, whereby both norms shall be restricted as little as possible. Only if the harmonious interpretation shows that the normative content of one norm infringes the normative content of the other norm, both regulations need to be balanced by means of proportionality. 3.4.2.3.1 Here we go, another subdivision. Jus uh, Kogan's status of Article 192 of the UNCLOS. In this regard, the special status of the obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment as Jus Kogan's regulation needs to be taken into account as derivative norms of international law are not capable to derogate Jus Kogan's regulations under Article 53. There are strong indications that the obligation has evolved into a peremptory norm of international law. As Article 87 already put its wording contains a limitation, it cannot possibly evolve into a use cogens regulation, because peremptory norms of international law are precisely not open to such limitations. If the freedom to dump space debris, therefore, normatively collides with Article 192, it needs to be assessed if the UNCLOS is void under Article 53. Article 53 does not prohibit the interpretation of Jus Kogan's regulations. Through a harmonious interpretation, it needs to be assessed in the following whether the obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment and dumping of space debris under Article 87 normatively collide. Both regulations have to be interpreted in good faith in a way that leads to the broadest possible application of both norms. Uh, we're going to go a little further down into the higher status of Article 192 of the UNCLOS. 
While the customary obligation as stipulated under Article 192 to protect and preserve the marine environment is granted limitless, the freedoms of the high sea are not granted in an absolute manner, but according to Article 87, must be exercised in accordance with the UNCLOS and other rules of international law. This shows that while the freedoms of the high sea must respect the obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment, the latter obligation must not be limited to activities in the sea and prevails. It is generally elevated above the free usage of the high sea under Article 87, which indicates that both norms cannot possibly collide. Article 192 is elevated above Article 87. This is further reiterated by the regulation of Article 193, according to which activities in the sea must be carried out in accordance with the obligation of states to protect and preserve the marine environment. The wording of Article 193 and the subordinating of the freedoms of the high sea pursuant to Article 87, under the obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment, thus stipulate a hierarchy by which the obligation to protect the ocean is elevated above the free use and activities in the ocean. A normative conflict between the freedom to dump space debris in the ocean and the obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment is therefore not possible. Much more, in exercising their freedoms, such as dumping space debris, states must ensure that their activities do not violate their obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment. Next article. It's actually, if you're following the numbers, it's 3.4.2.3.2. The obligation under Article 192 is not too general. As to the specific content of the obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment, a frequent counter-argument to its application is that it's too general to be applied to a specific case. This, however, is not the case, as it has already been shown that the specific content of the obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment can and must be precisely defined by experts on a case-by-case -case basis. As the PCA held in the South China Sea arbitration, the specific content obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment is specified in other regulations of the UNCLOS as well as other rules of international law. No unjustifiable interference. Next article. Under Article 194, in taking measures to prevent, reduce, or control pollution of the marine environment, states shall refrain from unjustifiable interference with activities carried out by other states in the exercise of their rights and in pursuance of their duties in conformity with the UNCLOS. Due to its systematic embedding as a subparagraph of Article 194, Paragraph 4 of this regulation can only apply to Article 194 and not to the general obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment. Nonetheless, and if one was of another opinion, under Article 300 of the UNCLOS and the customary rule of Article 26, states' parties shall fulfill in good faith the obligations assumed under the UNCLOS and shall exercise the rights, jurisdiction, and freedoms recognized in the USLS in a manner which would not constitute an abuse of right. The general subordination of the freedom of the high sea, therefore, may not lead to an abuse of rights under Article 300. For this reason, balancing evaluations such as for unjustifiable interferences must be considered when interpreting the content of the obligation under Article 192. As the PCA established in consistent jurisprudence, just like the due regard and good faith obligation, the unjustifiable interference clause requires a balancing act between competing rights upon 
bases sorry, upon an evaluation of the extent of the interference, the availability of alternatives, and the importance of the rights and policies at issue. Therefore, competing interests must be balanced with regard to the nature and importance of the rights, the extent of the anticipated impairment, and the availability of alternatives. The exact content depends on the circumstances in each individual case and the nature of the right. While when in doubt, due to the code and status of Article 192, the obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment prevails. Next point, 3.4.2.3.4. It's easy to keep track. I've got it on paper. And so will you. You'll have the link. Evaluation. One factor that needs to be taken into account is the availability of alternatives. The increasing perils of the growing number of space debris put scientists in a pickle, as there is no feasible solution of how to deal with the debris yet. It is obvious that leaving the debris in its orbit is no solution, as the amount of debris is growing to such an extent that collisions between the non-functional space objects are inevitable which causes more debris to be spread in the orbit, necessarily leading to more collisions, and so on. Another option would be to try to send space debris into higher orbits, an alternative. That's consequences are unknown yet. Many times before, people have blindly overexploited resources, overfished species, and dumped waste into unknown places, and do not know how to handle the consequences now. Barrels of nuclear waste lying on the ocean floor, waiting to erode and spill their toxic content. Is this the road humankind should go down again? In the light of this history, one might think that humankind should be strictly warned from dumping waste into spaces that are entirely unexplored and consequences unknown. Furthermore, sending space debris into higher orbits does not solve the problem of their removal, as the debris still remains in space. The problem, therefore, is simply being relocated. Experts such as Professor Schladebach, Schladebach sorry, therefore correctly demand a solution and a legally binding obligation of states to remove space debris in a sustainable way. Switzerland is currently working on the development of a cleaning satellite. Clean Space 1 is a satellite which approaches the debris, grabs hold of it, and thrusts it into the Earth's atmosphere where it burns up. This, however, will lead to an enormous impact on the atmosphere, which was not designed to burn space debris on a continuous level and can only solve the problem of small space debris. Nonetheless, simply because there are no feasible alternatives to sinking space debris in the ocean does not guarantee its legality. The obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment still outweighs the free usage of the sea and must be respected. States are under an obligation to assess the consequences and the impact of dumping space debris in the ocean. It is upon marine scientists such as biologists and geologists to assess the specific consequences of such actions and whether dumping space debris can be harmonized with the protection of the ocean. The only feasible thought, therefore, might be to regulate the problem at its origin and regulate the number of spacecrafts that are being sent into space in the first place, until there is a solution on how to deal with the debris when it comes out there. Point four. Conclusion. Concludingly, Dumping of space debris in the ocean, even at the remotest point of it, is a violation of the erga omnis obligation of all states to protect and preserve the marine environment. States 
have not assessed the effects of dumping space debris under the precautionary principle, sustainable development principles, and ecosystem approach, nor have they conducted an environmental impact assessment. Furthermore, states have not adopted specific regulations to manage and control the pollution of the marine environment from pollution of dumping spacecrafts in the sea, and therefore are also in breach of their obligation. The breach of a legal primary obligation can be enforced in court and leads to the liability of states for any damage arising out of their wrongful act. As the obligation to protect and preserve the marine environment is an erga omnis obligation, any other state has a legal standing in a case brought against another state that violates this obligation. Articles on the Responsibility of States for Internationally Wrongful Acts the problem of how to deal with human junk has exceeded the boundaries of planet Earth to extraterrestrial terrains. Nonetheless, satellites are being launched today more than ever. Before we keep polluting planet Earth to such a degree that we cannot deal with its consequences anymore, one might think of nuclear waste in this regard. One might think that history has taught humans at least to stick to destroying planet Earth before shooting our junk into the universe with no consequences known. Finding a solution to the amount of pollution that humans cause every second, not only on planet Earth but including the galaxy, is a question so unsolvable that scientists of organizations such as ESA are yet to find an answer. 2. One thing, however, will always remain its truth. There is only as much rubbish as we put out there. Therefore, while looking for answers on how to deal with the disastrous state that we have put planet Earth and its orbit into already, it might be a wise action for every single one of us, for states and international organizations, to reduce pollution in the first place. Okay, well, uh, for those of you who made it this far, I think it's a great description. of, uh, And this is actually a very, very easy to understand exercise that uh, Anna Roubaix has put together. She's actually made a lot of effort in making it understandable to the layman. Uh, which I consider myself to be. And um, she has made sure that we have the point, we understand what ramifications and what structures and what support is out there. Um, and I'm pretty sure that she has been already very good and she's already very successfully put strategies together, which involve all these different laws as a base. So I'm more than happy that we went through this. It gives you another side of what happens with all the great technology where it goes, and actually, as we are shooting ourselves in the foot many times, um, as much as we love the data and we're still learning what to do with it, we're barely just learning what to do with it, by the way, and uh, we certainly already realize that we've created a great problem for ourselves within more and extra pollution. Until the next article, I'm going to make sure you've got the different reference points and so on to this article, and um, until the next recording, thank you for listening.